Hey there, welcome to the Tentu Podcast. My name is Nathan. I'm a regional mobilizer with Greater Europe Mission. And today I have with me Gigi Anderson. Gigi, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. So uh, tell the listeners a little bit about who you are, uh, how you got involved with Tentu, and what you currently do. Yeah, that's a great question. So I currently live in Lynchburg. I'm working for um, an online school in Lynchburg, but I actually got involved with Tentu during my college experience. Um, I wanted to go overseas. I got okay. back from an academic experience that was overseas and was like, I want to do this in a longer setting. Yeah. And Where overseas? I thought I wanted to be in Spain. Okay. <laughs> so okay. that's what I initially had said. And then when I told my friends that mm -hmm. they were like, well, we know these people who are launching a mission opportunity overseas in Spain. Mm. And so then I went and met them and did not end up in Spain. Wow. <laughs> nice. Yes. Nice. So I actually ended up going to Romania um, mm -hmm. after overhearing Mike um, talking about it with someone else mm -hmm. and fell in love with the opportunity that was presented there and pretty much didn't look back after that. Mm. So Spain was just a pathway, I guess, to mm. get me to Romania. <laughs> nice, nice. So what do you do now in Lynchburg? I am a middle school advisor for an online academy, okay. um, which is very fitting for the season that we're in. Nice, yeah. <laughs> Lots of people going to online school. So. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, coronavirus yeah. definitely shifted what we did this summer um, in 2020. So that's amazing. So so you went to Liberty, and I assume because you live now in Lynchburg, uh, what did you study at Liberty? Yeah, at Liberty, I studied psychology. Okay. Um, so kind of a broad field mm. to be in. <laughs> right, right. So what you, you said, Mike, drew you to tend to, uh, and you heard him talking about Romania. What specifically in Romania, uh, you know, attracted you to that location? Yeah, that's a really good question. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about Romania except maybe some of the history of the government there that you hear randomly um, right. in high school history. Um, and so Romania was not even on my radar. I don't think I even knew that Tentu had a location there. Mm -hmm. And so I was really gung-ho about Spain because I had some experience speaking Spanish and um, I had heard about the sports camp there and everything that was... Yeah, and Larcata. Yeah, yeah, yeah mm -hmm. which was... So cool. And I was very drawn to that. And I was actually sitting at a table talking to people about that. All of us saying that we were going to be in Spain. I think only one of the like six people at that table actually ended up in Spain. So wow. um, that was crazy. But over my shoulder, I heard Mike say to someone, you're a nurse. You should, you should really look into the Romania location. We have an orphanage for children with disabilities there. Mm. And that immediately caught my attention because that's something that's really close to my heart. I had yeah. a sister with a disability and mm. um, several opportunities to work with um, children who either are in foster care or um, in different orphan type scenarios yeah. while I was in high school and college. And so um, hearing him say that was like an immediate switch in my mind. I was wow. like, Spain isn't even on the radar anymore. I wow. want to be in Romania. So I actually went and tapped him on the shoulder that night and was like, so I heard you say this to someone. Did I hear that correctly? Mm -hmm. And from there, I got in touch with the people and everything changed. <laughs> wow. Wow. So you said yes to the Tentu project. Um, and so when you got to when you got to France in Condacim, what was the experience of training week like? How could you how could you describe that? What were some highs? What were some things that you loved about training week? Training was amazing mm -hmm. and crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
it felt in a sense like what camp feels like if you ever get to experience that growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, but the really unique thing about that um, whole experience was that everyone who was there had the same mindset. And yeah. so I felt like coming in that week, it almost leveled the playing field in a sense of we were all really humbled by what was about to happen. And mm-hmm. I think in some sense fearful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it brought this sense of, I guess worship might be a good word for it, but Mm. I think everyone was just in the sense of awe because it was like, we're about to embark on this crazy thing that is short-term missions, but in, in a long-term setting, meeting people who are doing it consistently. Um, and none of us have done this before. And so training week was really impactful for me because it tore down a lot of my prior, Mm -hmm. I guess, misconceptions about even what going on missions was going to look like. Mm -hmm. And it also instilled in me, a confidence that we we didn't really have to bring into the t- anything to the table yeah. <laughs> because they were going to teach us the whole way. And actually yes. one of the missionaries in my location was someone who trained us during training week. So mm. I was also encouraging because he was yes. with us every step of the way. Yes, so um, good. Yeah, so I was really thankful for that. Mm. And in the humbling and then in also in the sending out, knowing that we were all in it together, but also um, going to be in different locations. Right, so right. That's super encouraging. The same, you know, mission, the same vision of every single one of us, all support raised, all called by God to be in a specific location, but meeting up first to worship, go through discipleship training, eat good food, play, <laughs> play competitive games, you know, exactly. against each other. It was great. Team build. Um, so how many people were on your team in Romania? There were six of us, okay. and it was all girls. Okay. Um, yep, so kind of a unique setting, mm-hmm. um, not having a male presence. Our, our missionary was also a single woman, so mm. the woman that we were living and staying with and working with primarily. So mm-hmm. um, definitely a lot of feminine energy, which yes. was good, yeah. but definitely a unique sense of mission yeah. in that. Yeah, totally. And what yeah. city were you guys located in, in Romania? We were in Timisoara, okay. which is the westernmost big city okay. in Romania. And it's also the place where the communist revolution started in Romania. So Whoa. it had a very interesting history. Mm. <laughs> Met a lot of interesting people who had experienced and actually walked through that because that's not wow. even that old. Yeah. Wow, yeah, yeah. And I feel like that's a lot of the European perspective of you know World War II, you know, uh, some of them experiencing communist dictatorship, um, you know, totalitarian governments, and you know, still not being too far removed from those generations that experienced that culture. So, what was the culture like in Romania? You know, interacting with the locals and interacting with the missionary that was there. And what would you say the dynamic of the culture was like in in Timisoara? That is a great question. Um, the culture as a whole, um, it was almost difficult to sense. I would say when we were there, it took a lot of time talking with our local missionary and talking mm-hmm. with our team in in almost a debrief sense to really analyze what we were experiencing and why it felt hard to kind of pinpoint what was going on yeah. um, around us. And we we kind of determined that um, the culture is filled with people who are really struggling um, mm. because of the hardships that they've gone through. And yeah. so there's a lot of people who are very reserved about um, their their own personalities, but then also their family history, mm. about the culture around them. There is a sense of shame even around um, just what has happened in um, both in Timisoara, but then in the country as a whole. But then at the same time, it's balanced out with this um, pride and confidence that that comes from being unified 
as a as a a citizenship, I guess. I don't really yeah. even know what the word would be for that. But people who all went through it together, they yeah. were... So like uniform. patriotism yeah, almost. Yeah. yeah, but in a strange way because it's not pride that came from the country itself. It was like pride that came from the people who mm. were all wrestling through the same things together. Wow. Um, which in that was really fascinating because once we started to really connect with the people who were there... Um, it, we specifically had the opportunity to develop relationships with some of the university students and nice. kind of just became friends with them because um, nice. we needed that too. Yeah. And um, what we really started to see was that even though there was that hesitation and reservation about developing relationships, when people from Romania commit to friendship, um, they're all in, which mm. was really unique, um, especially coming from the background that I did in the States. I'm from the Midwest. And so relationships are very surface level um, and you're friends with everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. everyone kind of has that um, ongoing sort of relationship, but there's not a whole lot of depth. And I would say that it was the polar opposite experience where we were, where yeah. they wouldn't pretend to be friends with you if they weren't um, interested in being friends with you. But yeah. they would... Um, they would go deep and they would be very open with you once you kind of let them in and once they let you in, which took some trust building for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I would say that that's the perspective and, you know, ideology of most Americans. You know, they're surface level and, you know, they're going to act like, you know, not just in the Midwest, but uh, like you said, but I'd say most Americans, they act like, you know, we're kind of friends and, but, you know, with the European, I see that, you know, it's it's super intentional. It's it's if I don't want to know you, I'm not going to know you type yeah. thing. But once I do, you know, you're part of my family and I'll tell you anything. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's super unique and a, a, a beautiful sense of vulnerability within the European culture. Um, and so what was that like, you know, the language barrier? Did most of them speak English? Um, were you intimidated by the language barrier going into a foreign country? What was that like? Yeah, that was kind of twofold for our team Mm -hmm. um, because there was the side where we were getting to meet university students and people in our community. We were in a big city, so lots of opportunity to meet people. Um, But in Romania, to speak English is huge. It's considered, in in a sense, it's a privilege or an award or something that you work towards because it opens up a lot of opportunities. Totally, yeah. And so... If anything, we found ourselves in a lot of situations where people were seeking out opportunities to speak with us, mm-hmm. um, which was a little bit sad on our side because we also wanted to be able to honor them by learning their language. I think there's something really valuable about mm. meeting people. And I mean, we were in Romania, so it was strange that we were like, yeah, come to us and speak our language. Mm, um, yeah. But then on the flip side, we were most of our days were spent with children with disabilities who are nonverbal. And so the language barrier was actually not related to language at all. It was like if you could speak or not. Um, Mm. And that was pretty incredible because I would say that was where we learned the most of the Romanian language. Wow. (laughs) Because it was our local missionary or the resident missionary there, um, Dawn. She's incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, She taught us phrases that were valuable or helpful or meaningful to the kids so that we could be interacting with them in a meaningful way because they were already nonverbal, let alone speaking English. Mm. Um, So to be speaking to them in their native language and be able to connect with them in that way and even learning Romanian songs and things like that. It was just, it was a really special way to engage with the culture 
that we didn't anticipate because we would have expected more of that probably out in the environment around us, but it was primarily with the kids that we were with. Wow. Wow. Most of the days. Wow. Yeah. I'd love to deep dive and just go deep for a second, just in what the dynamic of the orphanage was like, since we're talking about the kids and relating to them. Um, what was your attitude going into it? Um, and what was your attitude coming out of it in the midst of it? You know, cause I assume you guys did that every day, um, and worked with those kids. Uh, what was that experience like? That's a difficult question to answer, but it's a good question to to kind of dive into. I would say I definitely had no idea what to expect. I think I had I had expectations in my mind, but they were so foreign to what was about to take place that it wasn't even like they were really relevant by the time we got there. Yeah. I didn't even know what an orphanage looked like. <laughs> so yeah. when we got there, yeah. I walked in and was shocked to find that it was just two rooms. That was already um really different than what I had expected. Mm. Um, and so the kids slept in one room and played in the other room. So we would come in each day and all of them were in the playroom. It was a lot, my, our, the Don, the missionary that we were working with was very good about getting the kids out of the orphanage. So Mm -hmm. we would go on walks and we would take them on activities and excursions. We got to go to the pool a few times Mm. and things like that were really special because we got to see kids who are kids doing things that kids would do. (laughs) Um, And when they're in the orphanage, um, there's only two people on staff at any given time. And so there's only so much attention that they can really provide. Um, They do the best they can. And I'm honestly very impressed by the people who were there. Um, And I can't imagine how challenging that is, but it was really cool to be able to come alongside them in the work that they're doing day in and day out and just be able to be faces that smile and love the kids and be with them. Um, It kind of felt like if you go home and have siblings, like we, by the end of the summer, we knew the kids well enough that it felt like we were just showing up to play with them and have fun. Yeah. Um, I had (laughs) my favorite experience this Mm -hmm. last summer. We took the kids, there was a park at the orphanage that we would take them outside to play. And one of the kids was very oral. So he liked to put things in his mouth to kind of explore them and um, just kind of make sense of the world around him. And I had this really cute idea to give him a dandelion to make a wish because I thought that was a great idea. Oh no! And he stuffed the whole dandelion in his mouth. Oh my gosh. So I had to get that out with my hand, which was not the most enjoyable experience, but it was sweet. He was smiling so big and he kind of did this head wave thing um, whenever he was happy and he did that. So even though the whole dandelion was in his mouth, he was satisfied. I just assume like you're trying to hand him the dandelion and like say, make a wish. And then he takes it, just shoves it right in his mouth. That's the picture I'm getting. Is that true? That's exactly what happened. Wow. Exactly right. Mm, mm, mm. So uh, what lessons like did you learn from you know, working in the orphanage that you've applied to life today and your your walk and your relationship with God. Like, I'm sure there were some tough days, you know, when you were on the field in Romania with 10-2. So uh, I would love to deep dive into those a little bit. What were some life lessons? What were some of the tough things about 10-2? Yeah, I think especially as we're talking about the orphanage, one of the things that came up pretty frequently um, in our group conversations and something that I personally wrestled through and honestly still continue to try to make sense of is the concept of going and meeting people and loving people and then leaving and feeling like 
we did something wrong um, in developing relationships only to see those relationships end. Um, And particularly, I think that was kind of heightened because we were working with orphans. So we, in some sense, were feeling like, are we abandoning in the same way that Mm. these kids have experienced over and over again in their lives? And that that was really difficult and is still really difficult um, to process through. And something that our um, missionary, Dawn, said um, that was so helpful and also insightful and just encouraging was the reality that Jesus is the one who loves them and we're just his hands and feet. Wow. And that stopped me in my tracks (laughs) because Mm. it was so instant um, for me to realize that I was putting so much of my own identity into what we were doing in Romania and showing up thinking that I was doing something to change their lives, that I was doing something to be their savior. And like, I wouldn't have put those words on it. Right. Like, yeah, totally. I think a lot of times we're like, no, I'm not that person that thinks I can save the world. But in reality, that's the way I was processing and interacting with the situation. Yes. Um, and that helped a lot, even as we finished out the summer, because I was, getting to a point of fear and frustration that I was starting to distance myself from those relationships with the kids because Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be another person that abandons them. Mm. And her saying that was just a really important turning point for me to know that the love that I offer, the love that I give is never coming from me. I'm just coming in as one person that gets to share it. And then the next group that comes in gets to do that. And it's still the same consistent Jesus. And there might still be some elements of abandonment and trust and things that do need to pan out. But that's also partially why some of the missionaries stay there for their life because they get that opportunity to um, consistently show the love of Jesus for their life to that same group of people. And we don't all have that same calling and that's not wrong. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'm, and that's a lesson and a, a challenge that I go through day by day here too. Living in a in a college town where people are really transient, and um, I work with middle schoolers, so it's not like I keep them in my little flock for very long. Right. Um. So, just recognizing that I get to love people not because it's something that I can offer, but because it's something that was offered to me and that is already offered to them, and I'm just actively showing it. Um, that's, that's going to be a lesson that I continue to learn (laughs) for the rest of my life, (laughs) but it's, it's definitely a hard one to continue and believe some days. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Even as you were saying it, I was like, oh my goodness, you're so right. Like orphans who, you know, Mm -hmm. you come in and you build relationships and then, oh my God, just to, Mm -hmm. to leave and have to walk away. Mm -hmm. Um, I had no idea how you were going to say, but I heard this or heard something, but that right there is just like, I remember John Burns saying at the beginning of the summer, you know, the Holy Spirit is the great evangelist. We never will be. And so it's, um, it's that really, it's, it is being the hands and feet of Jesus. It's being, you know, just his hands and feet, not being mm-hmm. Jesus. You know, mm-hmm. we're not the savior of the world. He's the savior of the world. And if he wants to use us to be his hands and feet for just a season and then call us elsewhere and tell us to go elsewhere, um, then that's okay. And if he wants to call us back for a lifetime, that's okay too. And some people, he will do that, you know, and that's, that's the whole idea behind 10 is to, you know, kind of awaken people to certain opportunities and certain, you know, 
places that you could go to serve and be the hands and feet of Jesus, even if it is for a season or for a lifetime. So that is incredible and an incredible life lesson. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I'd like to talk about now about uh, the living situation and the dynamic of who, who you lived with, where you lived, and what the food was like too, uh, because that's an important question to me. So like, did you guys get breaks? Did you travel at all? Like as a team, did you, did you, you know, what was the dynamic like living together? Um, six girls in one space. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about, let's break that down a little bit. Yeah. Nothing like a sorority. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we lived, there was six of us living in the home that our missionary rents. So there's two floors to the home. Three of us lived on the upstairs floor. Oh mm. no. Four of us lived on the upstairs floor and two lived on the downstairs. Okay. Um, and for the most part, we cooked for ourselves, oh. which was wonderful i we didn't really get exposed to romanian food until much later into the summer which was um unfortunate but i'm glad that we eventually got there and on the one hand it was nice to cook for ourselves i think i learned more that summer than (laughs) i ever have in the kitchen but um romanian food is unlike anything that i've ever had and i continue to not see it now that I'm back in the States. I made my family one of the dishes that we had while we were there. It's called sarmale. It's amazing. Mm. It's cabbage rolls and they're stuffed with like sausage and you can kind of put whatever you want in it, but I liked the sausage in them. And mm. then they're cooked between layers of bacon. So what? you just can't go wrong. That sounds so good. Yeah. So good. And I I truthfully, like I look for it in the States and I have yet to find either a Romanian restaurant or even a restaurant that serves Romanian food. So I might have to start that or something. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Somebody should start. If you're a Romanian listening to this, you need to start a Romanian restaurant just so we could have sarmali. Is that what it was called? Yeah, sarmali. What other dishes were there that, you know, kind of blew your mind? Any desserts or any drinks that they had? Anything culturally like that? The, the only two things that I remember um, besides the sarmale, because a lot of their dishes are kind of a conglomeration of a variety of things just because they're in kind of a Slavic area. So they get a lot mm-hmm. of different influences um, around them. But there was this dessert. I think it was called papanash. I might be wrong, but okay. I'm pretty sure that's what it was called. And it was like a baked dish that you put, this is going to sound crazy, but it's like sour cream and then berries on it. And I've never, I have a picture of one of the girls and I wish I could show it to everyone listening because it is sitting in front of her face. The whole dessert is bigger than her head. Oh my and goodness. it's the most delightful flavor I've ever had in my life. I couldn't even tell you what, it, I think it's fried. Um, it probably is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's sour cream sounds like a weird thing, but with the berries, it was like the perfect interplay of like so many different flavor combinations. I don't even know. Kind of yeah. like, I guess what cream cheese probably does in mm. some dishes where mm. it's like more savory, but mm. it's really good. So mm. if anyone knows how to make papinash. <laughs> yeah. And well, it's papinash. That's such a fun name too yeah. for, for a dessert. Yeah. Um, the words in Romanian are really fun to say because they, a lot of them have those, I don't know, different sounds to them that we don't get to use as much. In yeah. English. Did you learn any Romanian while you were there? Any Romanian words? We did. Yeah. The, not as much probably as what some other places did just because it, it's so foreign. Um, yeah. they do use kind of the same alphabet as English, but there's some additional letters, mm-hmm. um, in there, but we used the word 
<laughs> so the phrase buna diminyatsa, that means good morning. Mm. And that was my favorite because I just thought it always sounded cool. Mm-hmm. And there was a restaurant called Nyatsa, which mm. was a shortened version of that. So I thought that was cool. Mm-hmm. The only word that I really still use is bine, which means okay or like good or well. And sometimes I say that to people even at work and people are like, what are you talking about? Mm. But that's mm. a good word too. Yeah. Just kind of throw around. Bine. Yeah, definitely. That's like, uh, <laughs> I say cheers, you know, mm. like mm-hmm. for thanks, because in England, that's what they say to, you know, to say thank you. So people are like, this guy is, he's like some hipster, you know, some weird, <laughs> why are you saying cheers, you know? Starting new um, trends. Yeah. New trends, new trends. But, um, so yeah, so you, you're a middle school teacher now. Um, what did this, not a middle school teacher, but you work with middle school students. Correct, yep. So yeah, so w- how did this trip impact your life like um, to, I guess, be more aware of mission in everyday life? Um, what were some of your favorite memories from 10-2, mm-hmm. either from you know training week, from being on the field in Romania, uh, or you know going to do the, the Luther tour, going to Lutherland, <laughs> and uh, also annual conference in Frankfurt as well? Um, that there's a lot yeah. <laughs> that plays into that. Yeah. I think the easiest answer to that question is I think my whole frame of mind shifted mm. coming back, mm. um, which I think sounds like kind of a cop out answer, but I mean it in the most genuine sense that I can. Um, last or the summer that I went, um, the first summer of 10 2, I think the learning happened primarily in just observing the missionary that we were serving with. Mm. Um, The ways that she had dedicated herself just to people was so telling of, of what Jesus was doing in her heart and how the Holy Spirit was moving through her. And I think those were the lessons that I learned that I was able to bring back to the States that I, and I would say even at annual conference meeting other missionaries who were doing the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, and then watching my team members too, and the team members in other locations, how they were starting to feel those same shifts and seeing those same, um, those same examples and models Mm -hmm. in, in their respective locations. Those were the things that I came back hoping to emulate. And I think it's hard (laughs) as a young person, because I think some of those things just come with time. Um, but at the same time, the maturing of the spirit and sanctification obviously doesn't mm. happen at any given point in life. It's kind of a lifelong thing. So, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. coming back was hard. So true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> coming back was hard because it was in a sense, wanting to transplant everything that I had learned and apply it immediately. Right. And it was very stifling to feel like I had all of these thoughts in my head and only so many application points and, or life opportunities to even, manifest those Mm -hmm. things. Um, and I would say it took several months to kind of reconcile what I learned and integrate it with the daily life that I was living. And I would say that I'm probably still doing that Mm, because we debrief. Yeah. We debrief for five days in Frankfurt and it's like, we've, I feel like that's just scratching the, barely even scratching the surface of what we just experienced, like living out of a suitcase, like being on a foreign mission field, like for you, it was a different language, a different culture, a different dynamic. Like what in the world, like this is going to take months for me to like truly process like yeah. what's going on in life. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I came back not knowing where I was going to be working. Mm, I actually didn't same. go right. Yeah, yeah. Right into the middle school field. I was actually working in physical therapy. So mm. totally different field. Mm. Um, and that worked out well, actually, I think not knowing because 
in some sense, it felt like being on the mission field in the States <laughs> where it's like, okay, I guess I'm just here to meet people. Like I don't have anything else to do. I don't really know what I'm doing. I, I got the physical therapy job like two months after getting back. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time where it was like, I'm starting to see how I can incorporate some of those lessons, um, in a more practical, tangible sense, like talking to patients and asking them about their lives. I actually met a man from England mm. um, while I was working in the physical therapy clinic and got to ask him some really interesting questions just because of the experience that I had had. And he was a firm atheist. So wow, that was yeah. crazy. I remember going most to my are. boss. It's crazy yeah. in England. Yeah. Most yeah. of them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And, and hearing him talk about that after knowing people who had been in England last summer, um, it was it was cool because there was a deeper level of connection there and I did not by any means change his mind, but it was just a really cool opportunity to relate with him in a way that other people maybe couldn't have just because they haven't had the experience of being overseas. Yeah. And so I felt very thankful in that moment that, yeah. that that even arose as an opportunity. Um, but it mm. was, yeah, I'm definitely still learning how to incorporate. And even as a middle school advisor, I mean, I'm working, like I said, in an online school. And so interacting with families and students is all through the phone. And so it's learning how to apply lessons where I was working with nonverbal children in an orphanage. And now I'm working only through verbal interaction with kids who are online. And the interesting connection I guess that both experiences have is that they especially right now in the midst of coronavirus and everything that's happening people are struggling yeah um and the weight of the world is on them yeah and um I wouldn't say that I'm exempt from that by any means there's definitely weight in every day just in acknowledging what's happening mm -hmm. but I also have a hope <laughs> that yeah. is very significant and over all of these things that are happening. And um, that's honestly something that keeps me going on the phones because sometimes talking on the phone all day is exhausting. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But then remembering that there's a human being living their life on the other end of the line. Yes. And um, I don't know if this really connects here, but in my mind, this is just a really, this was probably the most impactful thing that happened to me all summer. Mm. But it was, I got in the car to go to the airport on our final day in Romania. And the wife of our pastor for the summer was driving us. She's born and raised in Romania. Um, incredible woman. Um, and she, she had spent a good chunk of the summer with us. So we got to know her pretty well. Yeah. And she adopted one of the children from the orphanage as a baby. And he was probably eight or nine by the time we got to Romania. So they've had him in their family for a, a long time. Mm -hmm. And the mom said, um, something along the lines about some of the difficulties of that experience of having him and, and also going in, she also volunteers in the orphanage and seeing other children who haven't been adopted. And so we had the opportunity to ask her why they even chose to do that. Like with the difficulties with it in Romania, it's actually frowned upon to even take part in orphan adoption. There's just a lot wow. of mess in that situation. And the, her response was shocking. <laughs> um, she said that the thing that keeps her going, the thing that allows her to love her son well 
And the reason that they did it from the very get-go is because we are all orphans with disabilities in the eyes of our Almighty Father, and he adopts us anyway. Mm. And I had never... I think we hear the orphan analogy and... um, I mean, it's in scripture that we are adopted and grafted into the family of the Lord. Um, And that is by the grace of Jesus. And it's this powerful thing. But I had never heard the incorporation of the disability component of Mm -hmm. that. And um, it kind of brought in that verse from Corinthians where we would boast all the more gladly in our weaknesses Mm -hmm. because in those, that's where Christ um, is shown. And it's, it almost... I guess gave a new lens looking back over the whole summer that every single child that we worked with, every person that we met um, on the streets, all of us are in the same boat of this. Um, we all have some sort of thing going on. We are not perfect. We are fallen. We we have sin in our lives, things like that. And yet the Lord offers us this adoption. And I think that when I referenced the frame of mind shift coming back, I think that that's something that really is has overtaken <laughs> how mm. I operate in the day to day and now yeah. working with people on the phone it's the same thing just thinking of them that way and it's wow <laughs> makes your heart full when you think about it <laughs> oh my goodness yes those are some incredible lessons and definitely food for thought um, for me and for I'm sure anybody listening uh, to reconsider you know our adoption as sons and daughters and just some of the life lessons that you learned while you were on the field. So thank you for sharing. What would you say to somebody who's considering uh, tend to, you know, serving in Romania or, you know, serving long-term in Romania or just coming for, you know, a week? Uh, what would you say to that person who is hesitant or who's seriously considering tend to or serving in Romania? I would definitely say go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me <laughs> That's too. That's my first encouragement. <laughs> yes. Um, I think specific to Romania, I I would say just go in open-minded. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if other people who are considering it have some sort of experience or background with Romania, but it is a unique place. Yeah. Um, a lot of hurting people, but a lot of really, really strong, resilient, incredible people. And mm. so I think if anything, especially for short-term opportunities, because that's what I can speak into um, yeah. as someone who's done the short-term thing, Um, to just go with listening ears um, because I think some of the best ministry can be done just in listening and hearing people. So true. Yeah. And I think that's where I learned the most, honestly, Mm. (laughs) is just, especially Romanian people are storytellers. So once you get them going on a story, they could talk for hours about any given event. Um, And some of them are pretty extreme, traumatic, serious things. And so to just be able to be present in that um, and and learn from those lessons and empathize, I think um, that that would be my greatest encouragement in going and that it's so worth it. Mm, (laughs) I wouldn't trade the experience for the world. Amazing, amazing. So Gigi, thank you so much for sharing your story, sharing what the Lord taught you in Romania, thank you for being obedient and pursuing Tentu and going on the Tentu project. So would you do us a favor and just pray for the person listening, pray for uh, the orphans in Romania, pray for the person going to Romania this summer, and um, then, yeah, we'll finish that way. So, Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for having me today, too. Of course. This has been a delight. <laughs> of course. Let's pray. Oh, yeah, let's pray together.
Dear Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity to consider what you're doing worldwide, that um, we know that you are working, that um, you promise in scripture that the harvest is ready mm-hmm. um, and that you just need laborers and yeah. we get to be that. And so, Lord, I pray that um, for those who are listening today who are considering this opportunity to go, whether that's in a short term or a long term capacity, Father, I pray that you would just encourage their spirits that um, this is an opportunity for them to join you in what you're already doing, that you've already sent laborers into the harvest and that um, they are not alone, that you will be with them and that there are others who have paved the way before them. Yeah. And Lord, I pray specifically for those who are considering Romania and those who are already in Romania, that you would just strengthen them for a ministry that's very unique. Um, for people who have been through incredibly hard things that um, are honestly beyond our ability to fathom, but Father, you are with them and you have already um, started your ministry in their hearts there, even with the culture of religion that's already there, Lord, and them mm. considering what um, what your power is and acknowledging that, but maybe not fully coming to an understanding of who Christ is, Father. So Lord, I pray that they would take that step beyond just a religious understanding of God mm-hmm. and that they would step into this this knowledge and this understanding of grace and of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for them. Yeah. And Lord, I, I do lift up the, the orphans um, and those who um, don't have parents, don't have families and um, are alone. Lord, I pray that you would be their source of comfort, their source of uh, family family and communion. And Lord, I pray that you would bring people in, whether that's in a short-term way, bringing in missionaries and volunteers who get to love even for a season, or if that's bringing in families who can adopt these children. Lord, I pray that um, you would just equip and stir hearts um, to do that um, so that these kids could know you and know your love in a very tangible and real way. Um, Lord, I pray that you would just touch each of them today with with your spirit, with your presence, and with your love, and may they be um, just given life with your joy and Mm -hmm. um, with your hope. And Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to serve you in such a unique and sweet capacity, and we pray that you would continue to teach us even um, as we go out from this time today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Gigi, thanks again. Hey, you've been listening to the 10-2 Podcast. We'll see you next time. Bye.